Good afternoon, fight fans. It is Thursday, August 30th, 2018, and you're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can follow me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by the always amazing, she is hashtag WCE Miss Kayla Baby. <laughs> Hey, G. Hey, Fight fans. Thanks for all the love. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so much better now that I get to talk to you, as always. Kayla, the year is rolling right along. I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow, Friday, it's already September. It's just, wow. Where does summer go? I mean, I love summer. Don't get me wrong. I love going to the beach. But because we're in Cali, it's always pretty nice at the beach so i'm actually excited because fall happens to be my favorite time of year but really yes it is because i know i think you enjoy the summer and all the excitement that happens around especially in the fight world in july um but yeah fall happens to be my favorite time of year with the season with halloween my favorite holiday and i like how they stack the end of the year like that last quarter fight card you know what? It really is nice. Uh, I, I think they do a good job of pacing. I think we've gotten to know that there's always like the April, May super card. Then that holds you until the summer. And then, of course, fall. They Now anymore, they really do stack it. You, have, you still have the end of the year. And now they always go big for Madison Square Garden. So I agree. It is nice. And I like celebrating Halloween. I believe last year we had our little joke with the men in black theme. So (laughs) I think that's a lot of fun. But yeah, let's get right into it. This week's episode, Musical Chairs. There's a couple changes, a couple things moving around, and you guys will see. And the news is going to be a little different because I noticed it was split 50-50. So the week's biggest story is actually going to come last just because I felt like it would... I guess it would just be a faux pas to just talk so big and then we finish the show on a down, you know, the downward swing. So I wanted us to end on a high note. But before we talk about any news, let's talk about the fights that happened on Saturday. UFC Lincoln from Lincoln, Nebraska, featuring the lightweight clash between James Vick and Justin Gaethje. Kayla, just what did you think about this one? Because it was a lot faster than everyone thought it would be. Yes, much faster. Um, I'm kind of surprised. I read an article yesterday where some were saying that, again, ratings were low or viewings were low because fans found this card to be quite boring. But I think that there were a few exciting performances on this card. But talking about the main event, you know, we discussed it for a while last week. There was a lot going into it. This was definitely one of those do or die fights for Justin Gaethje, Um, you know, James Vick. He saw an opportunity to really just build his star power, um, was definitely talking a lot of smack. But I think it's hilarious that we still have not seen Justin Gaethje's wrestling. He hasn't, I guess, needed to yet. Um, or maybe he did in his past fights, but, he, you know, he's still booking main events. So, uh, yeah, very big win for him. Um, I don't know. Like you said, it was very, it was short and quick. So there's not too much to discuss about it, but um, I'm excited. He got that win. Yeah. um, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast where he was talking to Michael Chandler about it. And Rogan was like, you know, he, he started off analytical and was like, well, you know, it would help his career. He would take less damage. His, his skills on paper should be good enough to do it. And then he was like, and then the other part of me was like, just shut the F up, Rogan. Let him fight like that if he wants to, because it's awesome. <laughs> and I kind of agree. Like, Rogan, let him fight the way he wants. If, that, if he wants to put on a show, I think that that's what the fans love about him. That's why he's only been in UFC a year. But I'd argue he's one of the most popular guys who's not a UFC champion right now. Because he always brings it. He's got that kind of quality to him that if you remember like back in the day, Diego Sanchez, Forrest Griffin, Clay Guida, fans used to get excited because it's like, dude, you know when he's in there, he's going to bring it. Justin Gaethje is that guy for this era right now and this just last year. And I think there's some value in that. 
Um, as in terms of the fight, uh, James Vick height and reach. Uh, there was one point, you know, early on, he catches him with the body kick. He he went from like that kick to punch to kick, and all three landed. And I was like, yo, you know, this is gonna get good. This is exactly what you're worried about. But then Justin Gaethje just wasn't gonna be denied. Kayla, you probably saw this like I did. There was that final sequence. Justin would duck his head like he's about to charge forward, and James Vick wouldn't like throw to counter. He just kind of step back, and Justin did it twice. And then on the third one, James Vick hits the fence. He's got nowhere to go, and I think that really was the setup. He saw that James Vick wasn't using much lateral movement. He was just kind of stepping back, anticipating the charge. I think that's what really left him open. He has that habit of like a lot of these tall guys do, like a Luke Rockhold, when they get in that position, sometimes they just stand up straight, lean back. And usually against their competition, they tend to be good enough. They can counter, they can move out of the way, they anticipate it. They don't have to really uh, get punished for making that kind of error. Wasn't the case for James Vick. Justin Gaethje shows him the left hand, the hands come down, the overhand right. It was just one and done. Amazing, just great performance. Now, Kayla, the lightweight division, Justin Gaethje is so popular, so exciting, but who do we match him up with? Because I feel like we went through everybody after the fight in terms of who could be next. Um, Talk to me, because there's obviously a front runner, but I want your take on who he should be in there next against. Yeah, well, I think that there's just some fights that have to play out for him. You know, we know he's uh, booking main events. We know he comes with that star quality. So, really, plenty of other people have gotten title shots in the same fashion, you know, and and didn't have to fight anybody next. He would get a title shot. He's in a division where there's still a lot of, you know, tough players in there. Obviously, fights we're going to talk about. Um, you know, that just have to have to play out. So, and who knows, maybe he's saving that wrestling for a Khabib Nurmagomedov. But, um, Ooh. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think I that's the way you that think. We, we really have to be excited about that. How cool that we haven't even seen all of this man's skills as a martial artist, you know, being displayed in the UFC. Um, that right there is just pretty cool because it's hard to say that. Um, you know, having him so high, high, highly ranked in the division. And we haven't seen everything that he's got. But, um, yeah, I think that Kevin Lee fight, if he wants to stay active, makes sense. I also think, you know, if he's talking about taking damage, I, I don't think that he's going to lose any momentum if he does take a seat, um, you know, and kind of let these, these um, top four guys duke it out just to see where everyone lands. Yeah, I mean um... – Kevin just makes sense to me um, for some for a couple of different reasons. I think it's exciting. I think it's a great test for Kevin Lee, and I think it's a great showcase for Justin Gaethje. Um, if Justin wants to prove he's a top four guy, top three guy, I think getting by Kevin Lee is a big one. Kevin Lee, he kind of wants to show that um, he, you know, it's not just Edson Barbosa's, but against these real vets who also have a few other tricks in the bag, like a Gaethje. He can handle them, too. And he's on a great run. He's a guy that people are sleeping on because there's so much noise with the more established guys in that division. But Kevin Lee, in my opinion, is right there. One more win puts him in that conversation. No question. My thing about it for Justin Gaethje is it, when you talk about the top four, you're Connor, Habib, Tony. Um, now, you know, I'll put Dustin Poirier up there and you have Nate Diaz is do you put Justin Gaethje up there with those guys? And it's just a matter of, you know, who's winning right now versus who is coming off a loss. That one is the tough one to me because as much as I love Justin Gaethje, coming off two losses, you know, even though it's against top guys, I can't say that I think that he's necessarily right there to say fight the loser of Conor Habib or fight the loser of Dustin Nate Diaz just because I feel like you know James Vick you know underrated but still only ranked number 10 I feel like he does need that one more with a guy who's ranked lower 
before we throw him back in there to possibly take on the top three. So that's why I like the fight with Kevin Lee personally is I think it just makes sense for the rankings. And of course, if there's an injury, I have no problem with him stepping up to take on one of these guys. I think that would just be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's more what I'm thinking, too. Like, it, I mean, we know marketable for marketable reasons, he probably could fight, you know, the winner of Dustin or Nate just because, uh, you know, again, um, or I'm sorry, maybe Nate Diaz, but, um, you know, just because people would buy that. That's a fight that would sell. We know that they would duke it out. Um, but I agree. I think as far as skill set and really, I, I don't, He's one, too, that, you know, we don't want to throw him in without facing guys like Kevin Lee because then he might go back on that losing streak. I think he is finally fighting guys that are definitely on his level or maybe a little bit further, um, you know. So I think that, yeah, these these fights to have him just kind of work his way through the rankings is probably how I would want him to go about it. But I'm just trying to be realistic in, in that division especially. We know that um, people like Nate Diaz can not fight for a while and just kind of, you know, pass those rankings and, and get those big fights just because it'll sell. So we'll see. But I think the Kevin Lee fight is definitely an exciting one because I agree. I think Kevin Lee is definitely one of those contenders, too. So that one excites me and very well could make him show those wrestling skills that we're all wondering about. There you go. I like it. But yeah, so far, Justin Gaethje, the big winner at UFC Lincoln. There was a lot of good ones. Uh, Corey, the fight of the night, that was just a ton of fun. Eric Anders, um, Michael Johnson, a lot of fun stuff from Lincoln, Nebraska. So, uh, you know, fans got their money's worth if you attended live on that one. Moving on to MMA news, Max Holloway and Brian Ortega reportedly agreed to a fight at UFC 231 on December 8th in Toronto. Obviously, Holloway is coming off the weird circumstance with his health that took him out of the fight at UFC 226 in July. Both since December. And of course, Brian Ortega is kind of... I like to say that to the UFC, Kayla... He's kind of the cat's pajamas. He just kind of broke through. He's so popular. Um, guys just guys and girls just love this kid. And he's riding that win over Frankie Edgar into what would arguably be one of the biggest fights of the year. I'd argue it's probably the second most exciting behind Conor Habib. So there's a lot of anticipation for this one. But Kayla... The public still hasn't been told what happened to Max Holloway, which raises the question, are you confident in his health that it is safe for him to return? Let me toss that one to you first. Um, I, I don't know, because I feel like the way that Max talks, it sounds like he might be willing to compromise um, I don't want to say compromise his health, but I think that um, he he can be a little dangerous. I think that he was willing to fight, you know, this past time when they were booked, and, and luckily his team stepped in to kind of save him from himself. So I would hope that his team and the UFC, um, whoever they've hired to be his doctors, really are making sure that he's not just trying to get back in there because he's, either worried about losing momentum, he's just an ultimate athlete competitor, or he's worried about being stripped because I think he's done enough and, and um, has built, you know, his blessed uh, empire enough to where people would wait around. I do, I mean, I again, I don't want to see Brian Ortega sit around for too long either, so I'm happy as a fan that this fight's booked already. Um, and that we will see it before the end of the year, as long as Max is actually healthy enough to go in there. Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad that you brought it up, the pride thing, because um, uh, I can't imagine that um, just they would, how do I put it, that they would clear him, that they would even have this discussion unless they said he was healthy. 
Um, are there medical mysteries and is there just anomalies? Like, you know, we don't know what it is, but, you know, we're running every test on him and he is fine. I mean, that is a very real thing that could happen. But that, again, is concerning to me because it's like, well, you know, you put him back through a full training camp and the weight cut and all the other factors. Who's to say that whatever weird mix doesn't affect him again and pull him out of this one? That's really tough to think about, in my opinion. Um, That being said, I would like to think that both Max, the people close to Max, and the doctors um, are all confident about getting him in there. They wouldn't have this discussion unless it was true. Sorry, my alarm went off real uh, momentarily there. I was expecting to sleep (laughs) in a little bit. But, you know, um, with Max, the last time, his team was the one to really, you know, stop him the last time at 226. They were the ones who took him to the doctor, told him he needs to go to emergency. I think that's the big factor. They are not going to – they have his best interest in mind. And I think that's a very important thing. That that gives me peace of mind, plain and simple. Now – Let me ask you this, Kayla, because at the end of the day, this is still one of the biggest fights. How do you feel about the matchup now after everything that has happened? You know, is is Max Holloway more vulnerable to an upset to Brian Ortega than he was in July after everything? How do you feel about it? I think so. I think that just having time away and then having stressful time away, it's not like he's chosen to take a break you know, um, like other fighters, I mean, like one that we're discussing where it was like, hey, I stepped away just so I can kind of reassess where my career is going, take some time to myself. He left because he's been trying to figure out what's been going on with, you know, his health. So, you know, that that right there to me just kind of is a wear and tear. It's It's hard to focus. And Brian Ortega is a really dangerous opponent to you know be going into a fight um after all this drama but there you know everyone's story of how they've stayed champion gotten to be you know gotten to get the belt is different there's plenty of people that have faced things outside of competition um you know on a personal level and still been able to to win gold so I think that that's what's so cool about this sport is it really tests someone's mental toughness and, um, you know, is very similar to life. You're going to be going through ups and downs and are you going to sink or swim? So, yeah, as far as um, competition, it's just going to really prove to us what kind of champion in person Max Holloway is. And because it's not until December, I think that if they're already clearing him to fight, I'm going to trust, you know, that the professionals know what they're doing. I'm not going to try and sit there and and take a role of a job that I don't know anything about. So I'm going to assume that they are clearing him and that he's going to have time to prepare in the gym and give us a very competitive fight against Brian Ortega and not lose that belt or hold that belt, you know, in a competitive uh, fight. Yeah, you know, the thing, you know, and you said a lot of great points at the end of the day, you know, health, great, preparation, great. At the end of the day, you know, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, this is still a fight that could go either way. Both of them young and dangerous. So you could come in at the height of your powers and, and sorry, and Brian Ortega still gets the job done. Coming off of the injury in March, now this in July, now it's going to be a year layoff. Um, you, you, it would be wrong not to, you know, have a little bit of doubt in Max, you know, just because of the circumstances. But like you said, you know, this is just, you know, a sport where anything can happen. And I'd actually point out that when we talk about these great guys and we talk about the matchups, like, you know, John Jones, Anderson, GSP, there's something about it like you could put you could always bring in these tough top contenders, but the top guys, there's always that X factor like, you know, 
there's a reason these guys and girls always are able to figure it out to pull out the victory against these dangerous guys, even under the circumstances. And I put Max Holloway in that category. Knowing his team, like you said, knowing what he his skill set, you know, you can't just rule out the fact that he's not going to be able to go out there after everything and put it together. Some other fighters in the world, yes, you could have that doubt, rightfully so. Max Holloway is a guy that you have to give him that championship respect and credit that he knows what he's doing, he knows what it takes to get there and win at the top level, that he can find what he needs to, and with that time and preparation, go out there and get the job done, even after the layoff. So I think that you got to give him that respect that there is still a great potential to see the best, the most dangerous Max Holloway in December. And I think that's just credit to the champion that he's become over the last year. Hawaiians so. are tough, dude. He's got for, Hawaii behind him. For real. I mean, uh, he still wants to bring the UFC to Hawaii. You can't do that if you lose the belt. So that is a big part of it. But yeah, obviously, when it gets closer, we'll discuss it, obviously, as news develops on the card and everything. So we will be back. But yeah, that um, I said it, Kayla, Max and Brian Whitaker versus Yoel and Tony Habib. Those were the three biggest fights to have this year. The Connor situation is a whole separate category for fans wondering, but this is one of those big three fights that had to happen this year as soon as Brian won. It just, it was a no-brainer. Moving on to our next news story. This one, you know, rough luck. Yair Rodriguez is out of the fight with Zabit Magomed Sherpov next Saturday at UFC 228. Yair had previously, there was that big drama. He was cut by the UFC for not taking the fight or taking it for the right, the same amount of money. And then they reconciled shortly afterward, and then they made this fight happen. Right now, Zabit is set to face short-notice replacement Brandon Davis. Brandon has three fights in the UFC. He's won one, lost Five two. Tonight. Yeah, he's coming off Contender Series. So, unknown guy, but he's looking to put on a show. John Lineker did try to attempt to get the fight. So, Zabit will still be on the card, which is great because I love watching him. He's got awesome skills. But Kayla, Yair Rodriguez and the UFC. I mean, this is going to be now more than a year, depending on the layoff, more than a year and a half for Yair not in the cage. Where do he and the UFC stand now in terms of their business relationship? Um, as far as business, I mean, that this was a fight, you know, and a, and a luckily we still have half of it, half of uh, this bout still competing. But this was a fight that definitely added some oomph to that fight card. So I'm sure they're not too happy about this. Um it would be nice to know what kind of injury, but again, we're always wanting to know all the details and sometimes it's not, you know, fans business. They don't, it's not part of their job to always release this information, but um, I, I think it really just depends on what kind of injury. If it was something where it was reckless, I think, uh, you know, just being reckless in the gym, then I think that he might be, you know, in, in some deep waters again, as far as being cut because, just you're you're already on thin ice of, of whether or not you're going to stay with this company, whether you want to be with them, whether they want to be with you, um, that, you know, to have a reckless injury to me would just be a lack of professionalism, a lack of, uh, you know, I guess just proving that you still want to be on the UFC roster. So that will be interesting to see how it plays out with the UFC. I think that'll be, you know, a big factor. But yeah, he's his case or his career is just so interesting to me. I would love if someone would kind of dive deeper and really get, you know, an in-depth interview of where his head's at, because I think that there are people like Conor McGregor that have that star power power in their skills in a country behind them um, and and really want to take it to the top and go as far as they can with it. And in Yair's case, just from the few things he said, I think that he's someone that 
maybe wants the greatness of being a champion, but doesn't want all the extra stuff that comes with it, all the publicity, all of um, the pressure of, you know, having a country behind you or being the face of a country, um, you know, or of an athlete of country. But yeah, I think that that all of that stuff's coming into play. So as far as our business relationship, I don't know. I think that just time will tell when we hear from one of them, whether it's Dana saying he's cut or maybe he will finally kind of explain more of where his head's at. Yeah, I mean, he could just quite frankly, you know, <laughs> he could be defending a takedown, hurt his knee, something. Was there something amusing? Yeah, I'm just realizing that I'm like, <laughs> and you don't have to cut this part out, G, but I like have had a sinus infection these past couple of days, so I'm taking allergy medicine, and I just feel like it's like having me go on like longer rants than usual, <laughs> but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's, there's a bug, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, I was kind of like, wait, what did I say that was so funny? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just doing this podcast on a little bit of a high, but it's okay. Well, feel better, Miss Kayla. But um, not just uh, with Yair. Um, look, he could have just defended a takedown and hurt his knee. And that's just the end of it. And, you know, that stuff does happen to guys and you shouldn't be cut or be punished for, you know, accidents in a rough sport. But that being said, the circumstances, they are for Yair, um, I think you have to acknowledge it that the UFC put a lot of chips in the basket, you know, early last year when they made their sale to WME. They were the one pushing Yair. They were the one sending him places. They were trying to make him the face of, you know, UFC Latin America, UFC Mexico, especially after losing Goito Perez and letting him go in free agency. They made that move specifically because it's like, hey, we have arguably an even more exciting, younger, you know, just personable guy in Yair Rodriguez. And now he's just kind of fallen off the map. We have a fight everyone wants to see. He's healthy and we can't even make it happen. All of that stuff, it's going to hurt. It's going to be rough because I think there's the question of, you know, they're wondering, does Yair even want this? And like you said, where his head's at, only he and the people close to him really know. But I think that you have to acknowledge the fact that Yair is also, he's not stupid. He is aware that his ground game has a long, long way to go. And he is already seen as a top 10 guy, a guy who's going to be in marquee fights against tough competition. So you kind of need to work on it. It's kind of like with Mackenzie Dern. There's that accelerated track that they're on. There's just this, you know, you almost need to put them in there against these tough people. But at the same time, all these people fighting them, they know their game already. They know Mackenzie's stand-up isn't as good as her jiu-jitsu. They know Yair's ground game isn't as great as his striking. So... The only way to really grow that is to actually focus on training without a fight. When you're training for a fight, you're training to win a fight, not necessarily to improve your skills. So that's the kind of catch-22 that Yair is in. He wants to develop, but at the same time, the UFC needs him to fight now. So I think that all of that together does make it a little difficult. That being said, if he's just hurt, I think you got to just give him credit. He signed the fight. He tried to come back. Just let him rehab and get him in there as soon as you can. And if something else happens, then maybe you start having a different conversation. But for right now, it's a tough sport. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt to say he just got hurt. I do understand. Final point. Why is the beat kind of called him out and said, you know, maybe he's just scared. If I'm the beat, I'm, I'm probably thinking that way a little bit, but obviously only Yair knows what happened, but it is a little fishy. That's a, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that. <laughs> now I think you got, I think you gave me the bug, Kayla, because now I'm going on longer tangents than usual. <laughs> now we're just discussing, you know, um, important news. 
and heavy news. There's a lot of things coming into play with this, these, um, like you said, musical chairs and fights being switched around. Yeah, and um, well, I know. I guess we'll see because the Zabit. I mean, anytime we get to see Zabit out there, it's very fun. But um, Brandon Davis is going to go in there with nothing to lose for sure. Which is exciting sometimes too. And if he has a fight of the night already on, you know, within three fights in the UFC, he's someone that definitely likes to put on a show and and probably wants to build his name off some exciting performances. So this is how new stars are made sometimes. It is true, especially in this sport. This is true. Our next story, this one, you know, another rough one. Ketlin Vieira is out of the fight with Tonya Evinger, and she's going to require surgery. So Ketlin was set to fight Tonya next month at UFC Sao Paulo on September 22nd, but she suffered a knee injury, and so she's going to have a procedure done to help fix that. Vieira hadn't fought since March, and she's currently ranked second behind Holly Holm. Tonya Evinger is going to get moved back. She will be fighting at UFC 229 against undefeated Aspen Ladd. Real quick, so I had been planning to release it, and I still will, but I had a very long conversation with Tonya Evinger about the fight, about where she's at. I know that she was really excited. I know that she wasn't intimidated at all by the fact that Ketlin is the top contender and she was coming off you know, a layoff, an injury. I know that Tanya was just ready to get back in there. So I was excited for the fight. So very disappointing. But um, I'll be speaking with Tanya about this one coming up. So I think that, you you know, don't sleep on Tanya Evinger after the layoff is what I'm trying to get at. But Ketlin Vieira was in line. She's uh, arguably right there. It's her and Holly for the next shot at Amanda Nunes' title. But... Should she even have been in a fight with someone like a Tonya Evinger in the first place? Kayla, let's toss it to you. I think so. I think, um, you know, if she wants to stay active and continue keeping people exciting about her, continuing people talking about her as a, a next contender, we've seen Holly Holm be pretty active and, and we know that she's, um, you know, within her last, after her last fight, she announced how she's totally down to jump around 135, 145. And, you know, you could tell just by Dana White's reaction to that, that they're happy to have someone who wants to actively keep those divisions busy. So I think when you have competition like a Holly Holm, you know, that inside and outside of the cage is giving you competition, you want to stay active yourself too. So, um, and I like this fight. I think that Tanya Evinger is someone that's been around for a long time, obviously a former champion in Invicta. So if she's going to make the move down to 135 and that's where she's going to stay, then cool. Now we're finally building that roster with some top five girls, um, you know, and, and why not see those two duke it out while Amanda, you know, trains to, fit, to face Cyborg for their super fight. I think the most disappointing um, news about this, or I guess just disappointing part of this news, is that she's out for a knee injury. Because I think that to have a big, you know, injury like that so early in your career, and not so much that she's, you know, a fresh new fighter, but just as far as where she's at, um, you know, a, a placement in the UFC, and like you said, just being a top contender and and being this new name that everyone's talking about, that is disappointing news to me that she already has a knee injury because we've seen people kind of come back from those and just not be the same fighter that they were. So yeah. I think that that's the, the um, worst part of this. But I'm happy they found a new opponent for Tanya Evinger. I have my own like feelings against Aspen Ladd because looking at her history... Um, she's had a couple of canceled bouts. I'm not too sure about the previous two, if they were, uh, weight issues, but she might be one of those people that again is fighting in a division where maybe she should be moving up to 145. So I do think that the level of competition from with Tanya and Aspen isn't, you know, isn't held in the same regard from, in my opinion, as a Ketlin, 
But it is, like you said, nice to just see Tanya kind of fight in the UFC and fight in the natural division that she feels comfortable and, and capable of winning that belt in. Yeah, with Tanya, and we talked about it, she just... She didn't anticipate such a drastic difference at 145. Um, she has fought there before, but obviously Chris Cyborg is a very different 145er than most of the featherweights he'll face in the female divisions. Um, but yeah, Aspen, it's a very interesting fight. Um, it Obviously, it's not going to be the same as taking out someone like a Ketlin if you're Tanya Evinger. But the general um, sentiment that I felt from Tanya is she was just ready. Um, she said she wanted to fight. She didn't even really think too much about it. They kind of said, she said that it wasn't even like, oh, they offered the fight with Ketlin Vieira, top contender. They were just like, so, you know, nobody wants to fight Ketlin in Brazil for different reasons. And Tanya was like, I'm in, let's do it. So I think that there's something to be said about momentum and motivation there. And I think that Aspen should take this fight very seriously. Um, for Tanya, obviously, an uphill battle coming off a knee injury and layoffs. So it's going to be an interesting one for both women there. For Ketlin, you know, Kayla, I keep saying this about the Bantamweight division because I feel like it's just all, all arrows end up going there at some point. There's not a lot of elite competition there's not a lot of big names, big stars. You feel like the people they try to develop lose or your established veterans can't seem to get any momentum going. That Ketlin Vieira was that breath of fresh air. So like you said, the knee injury at this stage, it really is just a tough blow because she built up so much momentum. She was on a great win streak. And that was really difficult. So that one... I like that she was willing to fight a Tanya Evinger because I feel like, you know, we just had this discussion with um, uh, Curtis Blades, Alexander Volkov. You know, one of these guys has to step up. Otherwise, the other one could fight and kind of jump to the front of the line. I think it's a great move for Ketlin to try to make her case that even though Holly is the bigger name, that she's the one who's been active and deserves the title shot. So... I like that she was willing to get in there. And with Amanda concerned with Chris Cyborg, I can't see why, if you're a top contender, you wouldn't be taking a fight. Um, you're probably talking about Amanda not getting back in the cage at until March or April. And that is being very generous. That's assuming that she knocks out Chris Cyborg in a minute and doesn't get injured coming right. back. So you, it could be quite a while before we see Amanda Nunes even defend the Bantamweight title, you know, in MMA. So, And I we have that, to talk about that, too, that this is one of those divisions that, sorry, if this is your division and, and you want to keep proving why the UFC should have added more women's uh, weight classes, not only the champion like it's not only held in the champion's responsibility everyone in the division has to continue you know pro providing the best performances they can try to be active like it's still a very fresh um you know division that needs some like we said just building top contenders building excitement around it i love how D uh, demetrius johnson has his division where he you know, continue or well, not continues, but for a long time, you know, continue to just be that top guy that no one could beat. But we still saw his division actively fight each other to almost get better to eventually get that title shot or rematch against him. Like you have to keep adding, you know, providing exciting fights if you want your division to flourish and you to eventually be able to get that title shot and try and take it from Amanda. So I, I feel like there's other cases or other divisions where everyone kind of wants to have a temper tantrum and put their foot down and say, well, it's not fair. This person got a fight before me. I'm just going to sit it out and wait it out and throw a temper, temp, uh, temper tantrum while other people are fighting actively and they're getting the paychecks. They're the ones getting more, you know, sponsor deals or opportunities like you there's a responsibility you have to hold in keeping your division um, flourishing, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The point I always make, I understand. 
anything can happen in the sport. You only get a few chances to be really on a nice roll that gets you to a title fight and possibly build something big in the legacy. I understand all that. I understand the business side from fighters' perspective, why there's that always, you know, if I hold out a minute, I'll get the big fight. Um, that's very bluntly. You have to know the truth of where you stand. And the thing is, you have a lot of fighters that probably want to wait, and not everybody is in that regard. A perfect example, Ortega. He's a hot commodity right now. He wants to wait. That's fine. If let's, uh, you know, I respect his skills. He's a tough guy, top fighter. Alexander Volkov. Can't say the fans are necessarily like clamoring to say Alexander deserves justice. He should wait for a title shot. I can't say the fans and the organization necessarily feel the same way about him. So if he were to make a point about waiting, that wouldn't be as effective. And there are a lot of women across the board have this kind of situation. You have to acknowledge you may not be that popular person that you can make, that you can put your foot down and you have that foundation under you. It's just the way the game is. So I'm glad that these women are fighting and they're trying to make something happen. For Ketlin, once again, it's just a tough break, but I understand, you know, Amanda Nunes may not be back for a year and a half or, at le- you know, a year at least. So it's tough. I, I think that you have to take fights, and unfortunately she got injured waiting, preparing for this one. But uh, Kayla, I mean, at, at this rate, you don't know if she might still get the title shot when she comes back. Because with Amanda out, you don't know what happened to Holly Holm. I mean, what do you think? Could we see her in a title fight uh, when she comes back? What are your thoughts on it before we move on? Um, I think it depends maybe on how much time she has off. Um, you know, she might need a tune-up fight. She might just want a tune-up fight before a title shot just for her own herself. And I think, yeah, it just depends on these new players in this division and, and seeing, you know, what happens uh, between Natanya and Aspen when Amanda comes back, it, you know, if the, if she gets to, if Holly gets that chance of the title shot, I just think a few things have to play out, but um, it, it, yeah, it just really depends on, I guess, Ketlin's recovery. And then, you know, what I guess it would be the best move for her. I don't know if an immediate title shot is always the best thing. We look at a rock cup. Uh, Raquel Pennington was the one who had a leg injury, right? Yep. Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, after a big injury like that, it might not be the best move to also have the pressures of, hey, I'm coming back after a big moment in my career or downfall in my career, and then also have the, you know, um, I guess just stress of a, a title shot. No, I, I get that. Um, to me, the biggest thing is... Um... It's going to be dependent on one. Could if Amanda Nunes upsets Chris Cyborg, I can't imagine them not having an immediate rematch there. Um, so let's put that on the board. The second thing, it really comes down to Holly Holm. Where's Holly Holm at? Is she waiting? Does she fight and does she win while waiting for Amanda Nunes or Chris? What division? I think that's a big one because if Holly could get the big win, I think that just business wise. Holly is still the more noticeable, more marketable sell for a title shot. Um, could Holly just kind of jump in line there? I think that's the biggest thing. Now, Holly could fight, could lose, and suddenly Ketlin is, you know, once again, the cat's pajamas. I think that that really could be an, a possibility, so you can't rule it out, but it's tough at Bantamweight. The, there's just a logjam. There's not as many people as you really need in this thing. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Moving on, Kayla. The big story of the week. My favorite one that they've done since the, they've been slow. Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis. Official for UFC 229. They are going to be the co-main event on October 6th to Connor versus Habib. I mean, 
let's talk about it real quick. Tony returning after that injury that pulled him from the fight with Habib. But you got to remember, he is still the guy who won the interim lightweight championship last year against Kevin Lee. Anthony Pettis had that big comeback against Michael Chiesa in July. I mean, talk to me about this fight, Kayla Beatty. Let it fuel you back to health. Talk to me about it. Oh, man, there's so much going on here. Um, Well, one, just talking about the fight, I am such a big fan of both guys that it just excites me to see them competing against each other, and I just think it's a treat every time we do get to see them jump in there. I think that if there was any time that an Anthony Pettis was going to fight a Tony Ferguson, I think he has some nice momentum and has a nice – uh, run going so I I like this fight I like this fight for Anthony Pettis a lot I think that um, to anyone who wasn't I guess uh, impressed or, or still is questioning after his dominant performance over Michael Chiesa if you know he really is capable of of you know getting a shot at the title and, and, and getting one one more run in I think that a win over Tony Ferguson would definitely, you know, shut those people down too. So I think it's a great fight for him. As far as Tony Ferguson, I mean, what, what can you do? You know, there's a lot of politics that really came into play with his situation. And then of course, a lot of bad luck too. Um, so I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to really dive into that and try and, say oh this isn't right like he should have had like we we all know the politics came into play here I think that because of the time off this might be a nice way for him to just come back get another exciting fight against some tough competition and you know again prove why he deserves to eventually get a title shot I feel bad because I just think that he's one of those cases where I don't know. Some people have to be that like stepping stone to continue building up other people's names. And then of course the bad luck of injuries. Uh, I don't know. It sucks what's happened to his career, but I like that he's down to fight an Anthony Pettis and just, um, you know, give us a good show. And I'm happy that he's just coming back. I didn't really like seeing him bench for that long. That was my biggest frustration is he has that talent um, that's just sitting there. So I, I'm happy to see him back in there competing. Yeah, to me, um, with Anthony Pettis, I, I think the thing when I look at it, it's about the firepower. Anthony is great, and when he's on, he's obviously fantastic and one, and one of the best lightweights in the world. But Tony Ferguson is just a different kind of animal. He's one of the bigger fighters at 155 just has a very dangerous skill set and dangerous in multiple areas. If you're Anthony Pettis, you are riding arguably your biggest UFC win besides the Benson Henderson victory. And you are catching Tony Ferguson at a time when he's coming off a highly publicized knee injury. You don't know how he's going to be coming back. You know it's been a year since he's fought, period. You know, it's kind of like um, Jose Aldo, Jeremy Stevens. Could there be a better time to get this big upset over somebody? And just in the same way, Tony Ferguson, can you count him out? I personally don't think so. I mean, yes, you got to address the reality of it, but this is a tough fight. This is a fun one stylistically. Just both of them, so many weapons between them that I can't see how it doesn't produce a great fight. And in the lightweight division, I think this is a huge one. Like you said, you know, for Tony Ferguson, look, it is what it is. Connor is back. Habib had to win a belt that night in uh, April. You're here now. You win. You're literally going to have a front row seat to see who, who wins, Connor Habib, and make a big statement. If you're Anthony Pettis, I mean, there's never been a better time for you to pull off an upset and talk your way back in there. So I think it's just very fun all around for that one. Kayla, let me ask you this question. So we're, hold on. Let me, t- let me ask me, tell me if you hear this. I did a knock on the door. No, that's knock on wood. Assuming Habib and Connor, Tony and Anthony stay healthy. 
could this be the biggest night in the history of the lightweight division? <laughs> like, overall. I think so, because I think that we're already looking at how tickets have sold, how they're preparing for the ratings for Connor and, and Habib. So, yes, of course, because that fight is um, already highly publicized and doing so well. And then to add this fight that I assume will be fireworks, I think so. To me, it's like, I don't think you're ever... It's difficult to ever imagine just circumstances top to bottom with the Conor Habib fight, obviously. But then you consider Tony, arguably one of the best guys of the decade. And Anthony Pettis is still that guy with the Showtime kick and one of the best lightweights also. Just altogether, just the showcase that you could be in for, I don't see how it doesn't go down as one of the biggest just nights in the history of that division. And in my opinion, I think that this kind of is like that changing of the guard. For so many years, it was about light heavyweight and, you know, all the great champions there. Um, it's not just Connor, just really the lightweight division overall, I think is really the gem of the last few years. And I think that this night is just going to add to that, you know, at the end of the day. So that just makes it a ton of fun. But yeah, just so much going on. Um, no Bellator or UFC action. So not anything big in terms of that in the world of MMA. But Kayla Beatty, next week, UFC 227. Tyron Woodley, Darren Till, Nico Montano, Valentina Shevchenko. Just what are your thoughts on all of that coming up? Um... <laughs> Just excitement. It's uh, definitely one of the bigger cards. It's I'm very excited to see the champ come back. Um, both champs, actually. I'm excited to see Nico make her title defense. I'm excited to see Tyron back. Um, yeah, I'm just excited for it. How do you feel? I mean, this one is flying under the radar, and I don't know why, because I think that it's low-key got some of the best matchups for pay-per-view on a main card. Um, I, I just feel like stylistically, you got a lot of fighters who are going to go at it, um, not just in the championship fights, but on the undercard, too, with Tatiana Suarez and others coming back. So I think top to bottom is just a very fun matchup. It's a lot of fun fights. And I think that it's just going to make for a very exciting night of action. I think that that's the biggest thing that stands out to me is not a lot of people are talking about it, but top to bottom, it could really deliver. So that's what has me pumped for it. And of course, talking about it with my favorite co-host. I mean, what else could be better? It's true. Well, Kayla, just obviously feel better soon, my friend. And fans will be back on the air next week. Kayla, where can fans find you on social media until then? Fans can find me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they find you? Fans, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll catch you guys next time.